Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is with Dave Weigel. You might know him from the Washington Post or his recent-ish uh, episode of This American Life, or as the author of arguably the greatest book ever about prog rock, and that was the reason why he was on our show last time. It was when that book came out. Uh, now he's on the show because we're living through a global pandemic and all of campaigning has changed. I really enjoyed chatting with Dave, and I really enjoy following him on Twitter. And if you're listening to this, you most likely already follow him on Twitter. So enough about Dave. If you are listening to this show on Spotify, please go to youmethemeverybody.com and go to our About page to find our Patreon link. If you are listening to this on youmethemeverybody.com or on iTunes, there is a link for that in the description. Because I know right now you have a ton of money and you just need to get rid of it. So consider giving to our Patreon. Without further ado, here's Dave Weigel. How are you? I'm fine. I mean, I <laughs> this week has been like just all stupid menial problems. Like I, I finally fixed this like problem I had with my Wi-Fi for years, and immediately like my like the TV started being fucked up. So like the most of my I, I walked. I real I like will probably take take advantage of a Memorial Day TV deal like a normal person. Oh, good job. That's my weekend. Do you feel like you're now living a normal person's life because for the past what is it probably 18 months like you're on, you seem to be on the road 24/7. Yeah, well m- more normal. I mean it, we're all living basically the same life right now. So it's it's been we're all obviously found ways to fight each other. <laughs> I've sort of lived vicarious through you much more since I've had a kid um and I feel like probably a lot of politics world has ever since you're this American life. Do you feel now like things are off. I know everyone feels that things are off, but you're living this very drastic change of lifestyle, probably more so than anyone else that I know. Uh, it, it is, but I guess I've been, I'm, I'm, I both complain a lot and I adapt pretty well to new stuff. I mean, I, once I get back, once I have located a comfort zone, I can like stand it forever. I, the last trip for a campaign was actually not that long ago. It was April 28th around then there was an election Ohio covered. Uh, and, but this month I will probably not have traveled for work. And that's the first month I will have not have traveled at all for a story since 2014. So that's a difference. But I, I, I honestly, I put together a okay life at my house in DC. I guess the baseline here is, you know, the movie up in the air, the, uh, the George Clooney, I do. Um, what's her name? Um, Versa Farmiga. Um, he returns to his apartment, and it's just—it's just like a, a condo with no no books or nothing in it. That's not me. I do the opposite. I have a bunch of stuff. Like I enjoy—I enjoy what I set up in DC. I just haven't used it for years. Now so I've, now I now I've I get been to use to your it. house. You have yes, one of if not the best graphic novel collection of everyone I know. Do you have you actually consumed all of that? No. So I thought about that. Uh, is there a way for me to clinically move through all the stuff I have and read it? And I've been doing bits of that. I I own. I mean, my philosophy with graphic novels is I know what I like, and I know that um, I I I have been in situations where I want something and I pass, and then I, a month later it's like out of print and five hundred dollars. So if I if I'm on the fence, I usually go for it. And I, I'll get rid of something if it's the opposite. I mean, there, I, I don't get rid of a lot of stuff if it becomes digital. I still have lots of movies, but 
I haven't bought as many Marvel books because they make it so easy to get them online, for example, uh, or DC, same thing. I, but I still get a lot of indie stuff. Every every year I, I get like a new multiple armful collection of indie stuff and been cl- clicking through. And I've been trying to read books that are on the fence. Like I, I bought it. Clearly I wanted to read it at some point. Let me at least give it a chance before I drop it off at the free library in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But if I'm being 100% honest, I, I watch a ton of movies um, and I... I've been playing theater, which I owned not even that long. I mean, I bought it and um, I got it for, for Christmas kind of in 2019. And to my surprise, I have time to play it. So I've been, I've been goofing around with that. Uh, and that is actually I the most, as promised, disorienting and uh, escapism I've been part of. I mean, you, nothing takes me out of the reality we're living in like playing god of war for three hours it really has worked and then i get back into reality and i, and I have to remember you know what my name is and <laughs> what uh who the president is and uh what oranges taste like and things like that because the games have been so absorbing let's go back and, and i didn't really play them at all because i was much more hyper real when i was covering campaigns all the time let's talk about what happened today today's big dust up for the presidential campaign on the biden side was probably the breakfast club interview and your Twitter analysis yeah. is always good because it's very sort of direct and, to me, very common sense. And it's the stuff that most people gloss over. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think today's Breakfast Club interview will impact the election in any way whatsoever? Uh, I tend to think stuff won't impact the election until proven otherwise. I, I think in this era, 40% of people are in camps. And there's it may be more than that, maybe like 43, 44 mm-hmm. And there's moving around the edges, and the people are the people in the on the edges. We know them. We know they're people under thirty who are not excited about Biden. Uh, some Latino and African Americans who are less, uh, I guess, less antagonistic toward Trump than they were in, in 2016. And then the classic diner white guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I always say, okay, does this stuff hit any of them? And with the, this biden thing you're referring to where he's joking at the end of the interview and i i the campaign spin is that he's joking it honest to god it sounds like a joke that he that, that he like a will ferrell character joke that went too far mm-hmm. uh where he, he tells Charlemagne uh the god after Charlemagne wants more questions after 17 minutes uh by uh, you know biden saying if uh if uh oh i want to get the quote right because it's funny yeah i'm not uh, saying it in front of you for obvious reasons okay Oh well, then let's not say it out loud. But but the the jokes are always funnier when you analyze them neutrally. Yeah, the the Biden joke is long lines of, uh, why do you need more from me? Uh, I you can't possibly be, like be black and vote for Donald Trump anyway, mm-hmm. which is and I looked at it and said, okay, clearly th- that's a thing he he thought would be funny. It wasn't. He probably he what we're gonna saying his campaign will spend the rest of the day cleaning it up. But who is this moving? Like, who is the yeah. voter? And people are looking for evidence of, of like, well, it can be a powerful argument for Trump and black voters. And the point I made separately was the argument for Trump and black voters was the economy is great. I have brought us record low unemployment. Yeah. He literally was doing that in TV ads until the pandemic. And I said, well, that was a good argument. This one, I think, is a little bit more labored. But sure, he could try. But then if he does, what what's the argument? Because it's we're talking like less than 10% of black voters uh, considered at any point voting for Donald Trump for president. Um, they have relatives. And, and I, it always feels weird when you're talking about uh, 
non-white friends. Like, oh, sir, I have some non-white friends, sure, but sure, no, I'm sure. just in my circle of friends. Like, I, I, I honestly don't know any, any, any black people who vote who like Donald Trump will vote for him, and they have relatives who they're embarrassed about yeah. because they're voting for Donald Trump. So, I thought. I'm not sure who is going to come off the fence for Trump for this. I think it's just a thing we'll talk about today that's kind of weird and funny. And, and, and a lot of these political controversies I end up compartmentalizing like that is I will write about this. It is a thing that's happening. The campaigns are talking about it. It lets us write about something that is ha- happening out there. Yeah. But I'm just really wary about saying, and here is who it moves. Uh, there are things to be more obvious. Like some, It's revealed that somebody who's uh, pro-life Republican gave a huge donation to Planned Parenthood or something, yeah. I can then confidently say, I bet that hurts them in winning their primary. I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. Yeah. But when somebody makes a mistake, like a, the, the funniest part of this today was Ari Fleischer, the former Bush spokesperson, saying if if a, someone said this about, about Jewish voters and the Democratic Party, it would be a scandal and about a thousand people at the same time said Trump literally did that. <laughs> the president literally said, I don't understand how Jewish people can vote for Democrats because they hate Israel. And you did not mind. <laughs> like sometimes it, it's a weird power Biden has that I came to respect during the primaries. Cause like everyone else, like uh, who was covering these things, I did not go in saying here comes juggernaut Joe Biden. Who's not going to make a mistake. Uh, and I, I, was reporting on him as a fairly weak front runner in terms of just how much support he came in with. He was in the mid twenties when he got in, as opposed to Hillary Clinton in the mid sixties. And I was there and watching him lose Iowa and watching him lose New Hampshire. So I, I, I saw his weaknesses and then I also saw him win. So I'm not one of those people who says nothing he does will ever backfire. Some, some things do, but I'm one of the people who tempers it and says, okay, well, People have hard opinions, firm opinions of this guy. Did this change them? And that was my analysis. And for it, like, I don't think I was trying to say Joe Biden's great and he did nothing wrong. But no, I, no, I no, saw no. conservatives were like, oh, no, not you. But I saw some conservative Twitter you know, looking for journalists defending Biden. And I'm saying, I'm not even defending him. Like, I'd say the same thing about Trump many days a week uh, that – well, he said this thing. People are going to freak out. No, no one actually is changing their mind based on it. I feel like that's an uncontroversial position that sometimes the president says things that make his opponents angry and don't no one else cares about. Yeah. Uh, but it's this one is unusually funny, at least. I mean, again, the more I not that I was a pruder filming it, watching it again and again. But as I watched it, I, I, I was like this. This seems for all the world like a guy thinking He's cool enough to get away with this joke, trying to make it and it not working. And him, and him uh, unlike the rest of us who do that, running for president. <laughs> it's one of those things where if it was in studio, it might have worked. I think it could have, actually, because the so the 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 podcast in question or the, the show in question, I'm, I'm, I'm like becoming my parents where I just use the wrong, uh, wrong terminology for every every uh, kind of entertainment like referred TV shows and movies yeah. and, and like, uh, but anyway, the, the program that involves two people in with microphones, uh, Charlamagne, the God who hosts the, who does these interviews, at the breakfast club interviews for the breakfast club is very good. And he is not a gotcha person, but his position is I am the host of this show with a skeptical audience. I have my own skepticism here. Here it is. And unlike some people who are going to nod, move on to the next question, I'll tell you if I thought the answer was crap. And he does that. And so he's, 
it's kind of um, an accidental indictment of my own reporting that I don't have that approach and don't get the same great answers. But he he's somebody who I think importantly does not need Joe Biden to like give him access if he's in the White House. Of course, he's not somebody who's going to piss off a campaign surrogate and the camp or the flack. will be like, that's the last time you get a, a lead on our polling from. He doesn't care. So he just has these these interviews that are that are pretty earnest and blunt. And yeah, the tone was actually pretty blunt and, and, and friendly, although Biden clearly gets irritated whenever somebody implies that he has not have the best record on the planet. They kind of went through his entire crime bill record and all that. And at the end, he finally, I think it got to him in a way where he said a stupid joke. Yeah. Uh, could we talk about who you mentioned that this is probably not going to move anyone? And I completely agree. Um, you mentioned the people that are under 30 that probably d- aren't that excited about Joe anyways. A lot of those people are the people that you would find at Bernie rallies, which you have been to quite a few of. I, I know that you were at one that my wife was at, and the reason why this rally yeah. to me was so, I don't know, funny <laughs> is because Proto Martyr, a band that I really enjoy, uh, opened right. up for Bernie Sanders. And if I'm a Bernie Sanders voter, I probably do love Proto Martyr, but if I'm a Bernie Sanders voter, I'm going to realize Proto Martyr is not going to really get out the vote. This isn't uh, your local <laughs> pop idol. This is a bar band that has respectability in on Pitchfork and places you've never heard of. So, um, yeah. Why would Bernie? Why would any campaign use stuff like Proto Martyr when it's just appealing to people like me who's already going to vote for you, and all you're doing is like wasting everyone's time? Or am I crazy? Uh, well, I mean, there have been music at political rallies for forever. I mean, they're they're for a lot of people more important than rallies themselves. And uh, you bring them out in some cases because people will say, "Oh, cool! I can stop by this rally and hear this band." And while you're there at the rally, they get all their info and know how to loop them in. Sure. Uh, so Bernie was very good at that. I mean, there are a lot of things that uh, this is the thing with every campaign the the winner but did not necessarily do everything right the losers did not do it, do everything wrong bernie definitely did more right in the primary than than biden did and mm-hmm. one of them was re- i think really really good use of of his pop culture cachet to bring in people uh and so uh a thing that you cannot do anymore <laughs> just like yeah. a thing that's like become literally imp- impossible uh so i think that was effective not everything the ra- rallies are weird because they're not with some exceptions. So in, in Iowa and New Hampshire and to an extent in South Carolina, Nevada, less so, uh, the rallies are attract and town halls attract people who are going to make their minds up. And like, well, I'm a, vo- a Democratic voter. I voted in every primary or I hated the last one, so I didn't. But let me he- see in person as many camps as possible and ask them my question and then see what's up. Uh, most people in the other 48 states who are going to just take themselves out of bed and go to a rally are like, I love this person. I'm going to vote for him. <laughs> like, uh, and so anything you can do to pull in that person who's like, well, I like this band, uh, so I'll check it out. Maybe they hate it, but not usually. I mean, Sanders' popularity with people under 30 is, is wide enough that I think the overlap between people who wanted the concert and just wanted to see him was, was like pretty total. I get that, and I understand. Okay, wasn't Cardi B a big Biden, or sorry, big Bernie supporter? She was. Cardi B makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah, Bernie Cardi has B, had to. 
will draw yeah, out a bunch of people that maybe don't know who Bernie is. Literally everyone I think of that knows oh, who Proto Martyr. It's this, and this reminds. It goes back to your book, really. Um, why would you have a prog rock band when you have a pop star? Oh, that's a good. Okay, I see your point now. Um, it's about. I mean, some sometimes it's also up to the the, the preferences of the, of the campaign the campaign staff, but you know. I, I think you're right about the overlap in the fan in the fandom, but I think there there are and there were. I mean, this is kind of one of the failings of the Sanders campaign. They they had a great and uh, I think overzealous optimism in how many young people would pay attention to politics because of him and organize and vote. Like a lot did, but many didn't. Yeah. So trying to find the extra on the margin um, person who fits that demographic profile but wasn't quite there yet. I think it could be successful. It was always weird with Sanders though, because his, he's not like a joyless person. He's actually very funny, but he's a bit like Noam Chomsky uh, or on, on some days me <laughs> of saying that we have created a like media and political system. That's mostly for frivolity. And if people focus on stupid things, they don't focus on policy. So he would, he made a concession to say, well, I guess people like pop culture too. So I'm going to do all that stuff. Uh, but he, it was always a weird fit for him. And then you're right. Sometimes like he had, he had a, a vampire weekend uh, or a strokes. And, and you would think to yourself, who is the person who was, who was not at least already thinking of voting for him, who yes. came out for this, that's but that's the coming out and voting and the band endorsing is different. I think the point you make about Cardi B, he did not bring Cardi B to a rally. He did social media with her. And then after he lost, uh, he did social media, I keep using social media like an old person. Uh, it's an Instagram Live, I think, uh, interview with Cardi B about why she should support Biden. So he, the Biden campaign realized that you can't necessarily put him out there and he, she would not seem credible, he would not seem credible. But the work Sanders had done so that someone like Cardi B took him seriously, uh, that we they could they could make use of that. That was kind of their point. I find this all very fascinating, probably more so than the average person. So... How does campaigning work for the next five months to the average person? Huh. Well, I think about that a lot because I, I, David Frum actually came up with the analogy that I, I rip off, which is that for most, you know, he personally, he's Canadian. He knows that there's a NFL. He knows that there has a Super Bowl at some point. He will sometimes go. He knows that socially he should go to a Super Bowl party when that happens. And that's all he knows. And I, and he, and he, a little bit patronizingly, but I think correctly said that is how a lot of people view politics is, Oh, "Oh, it's a thing that's happening and it'll happen in November and I'll pay attention. Um, Which explains, you know, millions of votes difference between primaries and a November election. So that's not crazy. That's not crazy analysis. A lot of people just tune out and tune off. Um, So uh, I think about that a lot. I mean, I always do think, am I covering something that is really going to influence people's minds or not? And that's why I end up doing a a closer reading of, uh, of basically YouTube content, Facebook content, campaigns, shooting stuff out. Because like a weird reality of covering campaigns. And actually the sports thing works here too. Like if uh, I, I'm, Oh God, I'm going to try to make a sports analogy and screw it up. Um, but I'm like, I am the Washington nationals. Um, it is part of my job to do media interviews and 
my interviews will appear in the Washington Post and uh, you know local TV and the Athletic and whatever. Are people like me who will never read that stuff and then occasionally go to a game? <laughs> so uh, the, the, there's a different universe of, of of people you're reaching who are paying close close attention, and then there's the stuff that kind of per- permeates beyond to people who are vaguely aware of it. And I'm always looking for where where the the permeation is. What is it? Because you can't just be a cynic and say, this doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. You're going to be wrong at some point. <laughs> Sometimes a, a, a gaffe or a scandal really does matter. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I don't know. I like I go case by case. Do you find this time... I, of- you, you used to be able... Oh, I was just going to say, you used to be able to be in a state and say, hey, Iowans or Ohioans or whatever... Um, you are not you are considering voting for this person have you heard of this and you would hear no i haven't or yes i have and i'm offended or sometimes uh i've heard of that and that's why i'm not voting for them but very rarely Mm -hmm. um with biden actually more what i heard was a general sense that um a general sense that biden was a little bit old and out of it and it wasn't i saw one interview he did that was passed on facebook it was more iterative uh, but that's that's it. my point being you used to have the gut check of normal people and you don't really have that as long as the pandemic's going on are you personally handling your isolation as well as you possibly can uh i think i think i kind of am the the best p- potential way to handle this i would imagine is cleaning up the entire house mm-hmm. uh learning a second language or third if you're already already good at one uh things like that i have not done that i have cooked a lot for myself and enjoyed it uh used things that i bought years ago that didn't have much use for like a, a grill would be one but I mean, it's the pans that replaced old pans i honestly rooted around in cabinets and found stuff i had not picked up in three years that was fun uh read the stuff yeah i mean i've done a good my worries mostly based on whether I'm being too lazy in quarantine and missing stuff because I really got used to the the sensory load. I wouldn't say overload, just like the usual load of, well, here's things in D.C., but after two days in New Hampshire, I've got a sense of this. If, if After a trip in Michigan, I've got a sense of this. I don't have that anymore, so I feel fine and the life is fine here. I just worry that I might be missing something. But I'm not really (laughs) like there's nothing to miss. There aren't political rallies. Uh, The the closest you get is, you know, I've talked to people who organized uh, protests um, and I've I've not talked to people. I I should talk to more who've who've done some um, who've done some uh, uh, strikes is the word that was getting made. People who've, who've had different labor strikes during this i've mostly just been talking to professional politicos and that just feels different sure. so i worry that i'm not getting the same information I am, but the life itself is totally fine i mean i again i decide i, I could have gotten the cruddy george clooney on the air apartment and i instead got one that i'm pretty comfortable staying in let's say tomorrow there's a rally announced in manhattan would you feel safe covering that I would uh, not for any any of the actual clinical reasons. I guess sort of. I mean, I'm I'm not in great shape, but I'm under forty. Uh, I have I I was kind of a germaphobe before this. Not a 
uh, crawling in my house, unable to go outside germaphobe, but uh, I washed hands a lot. So I would, I would cover it in some way. And I mean, I covered the Ohio election. I was talking to people few feet away from them. Uh, so I'd, I'd be, I'd be pretty comfortable with that. Yeah. Uh, finally, because my kid is starting to move, uh, will you describe yeah, your sure. last weekend in Chicago? Because I think it was after you covered Detroit. Oh, yeah. And then I think you were between rallies or something like that. And then that's kind of when the world stopped. It is. Yeah. So I, I actually had a very weird, uh, very weird week <laughs> because I I went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire Celebrity Edition. I was not a celebrity. I was a guest of a celebrity who he called on and actually did not help him win. But we did fine. Uh, And so I had a quasi-normal feeling weekend in L.A. that was emptier. And things were clearly emptier, but things were not closed yet. Uh, And then I flew from L.A. to Chicago. Airport was crowded. Plane was crowded. A little bit, not full, but crowded. I mean, there was it was a... And it was notably cheap. I mean, getting a direct L.A. to Chicago flight was like $100, which is Ooh. less than it usually is because of the demand. And then I don't know what it is now. It's it's it, don't, there's no point flying places, but you can. Uh, so then in Chicago, I I got a rental car, which I, I usually would. I usually also would use the L uh, or use cabs. But I figured who knows if I'm here uh, while I'm here, there's more shutdown orders. And it turns out I missed them by a couple days. Uh, and I stayed in a hotel downtown again. I'm, I'm really frugal, even with um, with this. Well, I mean, most of the money I end up spending on travel is 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 for work. I'm pretty frugal with it. You know, I'll stay in the the chain hotel in the suburbs that's ten minutes from downtown to save a hundred dollars and get parking. But this time, I noticed that a really nice hotel in DC, one that um, the celebrity who invited me on the show recommended, was only one hundred twenty dollars. So I. Stayed in that and had an extremely surreal experience of being one of must have been nine guests in a hotel with a couple hundred rooms and uh, covering this campaign that was canceling absolutely everything and uh, giving me time. I mean, I got time with the candidate, went to her office. Uh, I spent some time with her. She turned out the vote at a poll. Uh, I talked to the camp, her, her rival who did not give me an interview um, who had in the past, but had a, was weird was just it was a weird experience because i kept asking well it's all complicated right now guys but uh is there anything he's doing that i could meet him at even if i'm standing from at a distance or or whatever whatever is safe for you and the one campaign the one that won actually not not because of me but the one that won uh was giving me updates saying okay we've canceled almost everything but you can meet us here the other campaign insisted that the candidate was just personally walking door to door and they didn't know where he was because <laughs> he's in some neighborhood and it wasn't really clear if I could meet up with him. So I just didn't. I, 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 I kind of rode around it and um, morning before the election or the day before the election, uh, I came back to DC and no, uh, yeah, day, yeah, day, day. Yeah. I came back to DC and at that point, things were finally a little bit weirder. Like the, the, Ho- the O'Hare, which we both know too well, <laughs> is usually really crowded. Yes. And it was notably less crowded. Not like it is now. Because then when I went to Ohio last month, there were like three people um, in, in, in DACA that I could tell. I mean, it was like prime travel point of the day. Six people on my plane, almost nobody, nobody outside. Uh, so that was weird. But I had a... 
like a I think a hundred hour period basically that get where things were getting stranger and stranger literally by the hour. Your Instagram feed was fun to follow during that period because like your photo I think what floor were you on in Chicago? What floor was I? It was, it was high up. Low. Right? It was like the sad. It was what well, wasn't. It was a bigger building. It was like maybe the ninth floor. But like you could get to the twentieth or thirtieth. But one of those old timey hotels that it's been there forever. It's one of those where some of the celebrities who stayed there are still famous, and some you have to Google. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, you know, uh, like she dazzled the she dazzled the boys in in uh, this USO show, and like, okay, good for you. Um, but <laughs> the. Uh, but it was, it was enough where it had a view of of Lake Michigan, which was which was pleasant and just surreal. I mean, again, I, I one thing that was happening in that point in time was there was going to be a Democratic debate between Biden and Sanders in Arizona, which I had was credentialed for was going to head to that got canceled. Um, so this is all this is convoluted, but I, I wouldn't have gone to Chicago had that not happened. I, I was I went to Chicago realizing it was a better story than. Uh, not covering a debate. Yeah. Uh, and then I I watched the debate in my hotel room uh, and realized it was probably the last one for a while. It was just a very surreal experience. And I actually remember more of it than usual. My, most people who do this stuff, uh, and you, you know one, <laughs> will tell you that campaign coverage can be a blur. You can forget what city you're waking up in mm-hmm. and all that. And I remember that whole period very strongly. Uh, and not even with nostalgia, I wouldn't say I, I, I'm pining for that period of time or those days back. I, I just remember it as a uh, like everything I was doing was this might be the last time I do it in a, long, in a while. And that's unusual. I remember um, some restaurants were already starting to close down. Uh, one one restaurant I, 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 I met a source at uh, um, you had to sit apart you know half half capacity the thing that a lot of people i think are gonna do when they come back and the other one was uh the giordano's the pizza chain which i went to school at northwestern and I, I love that place and i'll never not love that i'll never not irritate people by claiming that deep dish is the only real style of pizza and everything else is slap bread <laughs> uh so i went to giordano's thinking like i'm gonna have a normal experience and take some of this pizza home with me because i can and indeed i did i mean i took it back to dc and i had for you know, three days, the usual kind of throwback to college of getting in Giordano's, which is literally impossible to consume in, in one sitting and just made it last for several days. Each one realizing that this is not like a, this is the last Giordano's that will be eaten, but realizing, eh, well, I won't do this for a while. 